0: Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. I recently read an article about highly sensitive children and it seemed to perfectly describe my son. To give you an example, we had eating problems for a while. Xander was perfectly capable of using a spoon, but he would eat just enough to take the edge off his hunger and then wouldn't eat anymore. Eventually, we figured out that he doesn't like the taste or the feel of metal spoons. Now that we give him plastic spoons, he eats really well. To learn more about the high sensitivity trait, I've invited Elaine Friend. Elaine is a marriage and family therapist in California. She does a lot of work with highly sensitive people and has worked closely with Dr. Elaine Aron, the original researcher who discovered the high sensitivity trait. Elaine has a very interesting and unique practice. She provides equine-assisted learning. That is, she has a herd of highly sensitive rescue horses, and her clients learn self-discovery, communication, self-care and personal authenticity as modeled by the horses. So here's the interview. Hello, Elaine. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So what distinguishes highly sensitive people from others?
1: Well, there are four main things that distinguish us from other people. They, Dr. Aaron uses an acronym called DOES or DOES to distinguish them want D is depth of processing. That means that, you know, I'm speaking first person since I was a highly sensitive child and I am a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that we reflect more than others about the way the world's going or about the meaning of life or just in general, we reflect more than others about decisions. We might be a little more slow about making decisions because we want to make sure that we make good decisions. Yeah. Um, we have good ideas And we have a lot of personal insight and a sense of the long-term consequences of our actions. Because of all that thinking, I guess. Exactly. Mm. Now, um, the O is overstimulation or Mm over-arousal. And um, when you're noticing everything in the world more than the average bear, you're going to tend to get overstimulated more easily. Mm -hmm. And we can easily burn out just due to the sheer amount of incoming information. Um, Sometimes you just need a break. I just need a break. Um, I might feel like I just can't handle another bit of information or stimulus coming in. Um sometimes people think there's something wrong with a highly sensitive person or a highly sensitive child when they become overstimulated or because they can't handle as much as others seem to. But in fact, in a way they're handling just
0: as much, it's just that the depth of processing is is deeper. So,
1: well, and as we get into this conversation, you'll see that we're actually handling more mm. um because we notice every little thing and that's the S sensitive to subtle stimuli. Mm. So, um, when you're paying attention to every little detail, we notice all the small changes that others miss. Um, we notice people's moods. We hear the sounds that other people just kind of tune out. We notice subtle tastes and smells. Those kinds of things, all those stimuli are coming in and we're taking notice of them, whereas the other 80% of the world can just kind of let them go by. They may never even notice them.
0: mm So this
1: is explaining so much. Yeah, go on. (laughs) Yeah, when you're taking all that in, you can get pretty overwhelmed pretty easily or stimulated and over-aroused. Yeah. And everyone needs an optimal level of arousal, not too little stimulation, not
0: too much. Yeah. So highly sensitive people aren't necessarily extroverts because I know, um, or sorry, introverts because I know introverts often get overstimulation as something to do with that as well, isn't it?
1: Actually, um, 70% of highly sensitive people are introverts and 30% are extroverts. Okay. And we're equal numbers, male and female, interestingly. So sometimes it's a, might be a little harder to identify an extroverted HSP or HSC mm. or a male highly sensitive person or a highly sensitive child, yeah. but they're out there. Hmm.
0: Because I guess for for adult males at least they've they've been socialized not to show their sensitive side,
1: right? And um, often it means that they might just be the more res- reserved or quiet, and people might assume that means they're stoic, mm. and um, and mis mislabel them or misperceive them. Mm. And I'll just go back for a second to the E because it's particularly interesting with regard to males, um, the E and. D-O-E-S is emotional responsiveness and empathy. Mm. So we are more easily moved to tears of joy or gratitude or relief or even sorrow. Mm. Uh, we're equally moved to laughter. We have um, stronger emotional reactions and react more to the emotions of others. Mm. So, um, for me, for example, I've never been able to tolerate violent TV shows or movies yep. and By the same token, I can easily cry at a commercial that's touching. Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, for the men, this is something that they may not show except to their closest um, loved ones. Mm. Yeah. But it's going on in there. (laughs) Yeah, right. And have we got to the S? And the S was the sensitivity to subtle stimuli. Right. Yeah. Went out of order there for a moment. Right, I see, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, that explains so much, like how my son will notice every flower, like the smell of every flower we pass and can't right. put his nappy in or won't often put his nappy in the bin because of the stench.
1: <laughs> That's oh, yes. Yeah. This morning I wanted my almost 16-year-old son to take the garbage down which is his job, right, and he was on his way out the door to school, and he had already washed his hands, and he just couldn't bring himself to do it yeah and as a mother, that just drives me crazy, but as a mother of a highly sensitive child, I understand that I really need to acknowledge that there are certain things that are harder for him yeah. because he's part of that percent,
0: yeah, so I guess like like any trait, you have degrees of sensitivity?
1: Yes, it is true. You do.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there can be highly sensitive people who are high, more highly sensitive than others?
1: Yes. Although it often is related to environment and overstimulation. Um, more so than, you know, because the trait is either you have it or you don't have it. Mm. But it looks different ways in different people. So what gets people overstimulated and less able to, um, you know, function in the 80% world is different for each person. Yeah. In preparation for this interview, I did re-look at Dr. Aaron's um, self-test for parents to look at about their children, the highly sensitive child test. And I was talking to my partner about it, and I decided that I think my son is a yes on every item. Wow. So, (laughs) (laughs) it's been a long 16 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How many items are there? Um well, I don't remember the child one's a little bit shorter than the um adult one but I'll look it up while we're talking. Yeah, I think I think my son got about 13 or so. Right. And 13 is the general number that we say is a yes mm. uh, that you that you most likely have the trait. But we do say that if some are you have fewer than 13 but some of them are very true mm. then you very likely do have the trait. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I found
0: it it odd with my son that there are. He's highly sensitive to things like smell and sound, um, and to some extent taste because he doesn't like metal spoons. But he loves spicy things. So it's just yeah, it's just funny how it plays out.
1: Exactly. You never know. Yeah. I'm counting twenty three items on the um, child test. Yeah. Right. Yep. So um so thirteen is well over half, yeah for sure. Yeah.
0: Um so is high sensitivity associated with fussy eating kids?
1: It can be associated with that. Mm-hmm. Um it's not a given. Yeah. Um and you know, we talk about how um HSCs as well as non-HSC um children, have the same developmental issues. Um, You know, the second half of their first year of life, most of them are afraid of strangers. Um, You know, they do become really picky eaters sometime around when they are two or three. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a certain amount of defiance. They're afraid to be separated from their parents at a certain stage of a development All of those things are true for both highly sensitive children and the children in the other 80%. Mm. And the highly sensitive children may have a stronger reaction. They may be more of a picky eater, um, may worry more about things. And one good way I use to assess is um, when everything is presented in the slowest, gentlest manner, you know, like changes are, are offered very slowly and gradually with lots of warning and, um, the child's had plenty of sleep and they're just at their best mm. and things are still overstimulating to them.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, then you can see, um, the, you know, the different ways that the sensitivity may come into play and, you know, because an overtired child is fussy about darn near everything. Yeah. whether they're highly sensitive or not, right?
0: Yeah. So I guess a lot of these things um, can feel worse for the parent because of the child's emotional reactivity when they're highly sensitive.
1: Right. And if if you are not a highly sensitive parent, or sometimes even if you are, Mm. it can be very challenging to notice that your child is so different than what you remember childhood being. And, and I, you know, even, or maybe even all the more so as a highly sensitive adult, it's hard to access the amount of patience that a highly sensitive child needs. Mm. You know, there's two strategies in, in the world. The research shows that there are two strategies. One is um, do it over and over again, eventually, you'll get it right. Mm. And the other one is do it once, but make sure you're doing it right. And the highly sensitive beings are the ones who think about things for a long time and make a very careful decision. So they're going to do it once and it's going to be right.
0: Yeah. And
1: the other 80% are willing to just give it a shot and go for it. Mm. And that my means son's... it might take a long time to do something new.
0: Yeah. I'm seeing that a lot with my son at the moment is a sort of perfectionism about – you know, he was doing a Play-Di- Play-Doh Spider-Man this morning, and it would come out with a, a small crack near his knee, and he's like, no, this is no good, and, he, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect. He
1: wanted it to be perfect. Right. They, they do, and it's really hard because he probably spent a good deal of time and concentration and depth of processing mm-hmm. to – make it perfect. So it's disappointing and it's yet such a good lesson. And, um, you know, we're working, um, with our son right now on accepting 80%, which is really hard. You know, the, um, the, the teacher and his advisor might get after me saying, you know, well, why are you putting on this pressure on him for straight A's in his very difficult academic high school? (laughs) I said, believe me, I am not. Danking him not to get straight A's. (laughs) It's it's all him. Yeah. So that's a a very common thing. And um, we have to model for them that sometimes things are disappointing and also be understanding that it is part of their trait.
0: Mm.
1: So is high sensitivity also associated with sleep issues? Um, Certainly it can be. Mm overstimulation and over arousal make it very hard for me to go to sleep. Right. And um, another you know, interesting paradox to that is that one of the best ways for a highly sensitive child or person to return to optimal level of arousal is by getting a lot of sleep. Right. So we need more. And yet if we haven't had the right rhythm toward bedtime and we become overstimulated anywhere near bedtime, then it's hard, it is much harder to go to sleep. Yeah, and I guess
0: as possibly especially as an adult, but even as, as a child, the over or the lots of processing would mean it's hard to switch off at night as well.
1: Right. I mean, we have to um, be so careful about screens because, you know, uh, it's tempting for me to wait until my son's in bed to do all my email. Mm. But if I have my computer on, I can't go to sleep for at least two hours after I turn it off.
0: Wow.
1: So yeah. that is a recipe for
0: disaster. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. My son certainly had
1: high sleep need. And I know you, you've thought a lot about sleep and have done a lot of work on sleep and I know for my son, when he was your son's age, we we were advised to take an insanely early bedtime because he would be exhausted from the day yeah. and then he wind back up and get overstimulated. If yeah. we kept him up, we started bedtime around six fifteen in the evening yeah. and you know had him down by six forty five. and um, then he slept twelve hours easily. Wow. But if we waited until seven thirty, then the whole sleep pattern was disturbed. Mm. And it was just that very thing of getting overstimulated.
0: Yeah, right. And are there other issues that can be triggered by high sensitivity?
1: Oh, there are so many. You know, there's some some things that are challenging socially mm. for highly children. And we all have to live in this world that is designed by and for the 80%. And that means that it's not particularly HSC-friendly. So um, Dr. Aaron tells a beautiful story of her son um, when he was entering kindergarten, and she has found it to be true of many highly sensitive children, that the HSC is likely to walk to the first day of kindergarten, walk to the door, and stop. And look, I know many of our kids are going to preschool much earlier than kindergarten now, but to stop and look around and get the lay of the land, see what toys are, what the other children are doing, what's going on. And the teacher who is um, not tuned in and hasn't been um, told ahead of time that the child's highly sensitive might walk up and say, oh, is he shy? I'll help him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And. Then suddenly the child is labeled as shy and um, Mm -hmm. Elaine calls it the slide into shy because um, we aren't born shy Mm. and many highly sensitive children are not shy. They just like to process what's going on in the room first before they enter it. Mm -hmm. If they're supported in their deep processing, they can have very close, deep friends and and great play, Mm -hmm. but often they prefer quiet play. My son always played with the girls all through uh, preschool and early elementary school. Um, He, his best friend was a girl and he much preferred to play with them. He just really did not get the, didn't want to do the loud, rambunctious play of the preschool.
0: Yeah, that's definitely my son too.
1: You know, and I, my son would often be overstimulated and in preschool, um, as the play got loud, you know, as the kids ramped up into a more rambunctious play, mm. um, when he became overstimulated, sometimes he would stand in the middle of the playroom and just scream at the top of his lungs. Mm. And it didn't take long for the teacher to realize that that happened every single day. So she, ever so cleverly, asked him to go in the kitchen and help her get snack ready mm. before the the noise level got to that point while the assistant was the rowdy kids playing. And everything was wonderful after that. Mm. Another teacher, when my son was in uh, about five years old in preschool, his teacher found him to be very annoying whenever they were in a large group together because he was I know now he was always overstimulated Mm -hmm. and, um, but she found him very hard to control. And, um, one day he was the only child in aftercare and he was there from when all the other children left at one until 5 Mm PM. So for four hours, she was alone with him and he engaged her in deep thought provoking discussion. Mm -hmm. He asked really thoughtful questions, you know, well beyond his years And she found that she really enjoyed him and was able to see that there was more to him than the overstimulated acting out little boy. Mm -hmm. Um, Always throughout his educational experience, once he's gotten to know teachers, he's their favorite child because he loves to learn and he's so thinking all the time. Um, But if he's overstimulated, he's very challenging. Yeah. Did they find any way to combat that in group activities? Well, he—I've had him in alternative education his entire life, so I've had amazing teachers working with him. Mm. For example, he's been um, sometimes he's been assigned to a child that's new or sad or challenged, and um, as that child's helper, so he's had a job. Mm. He was given in his kindergarten classroom um, some important role of holding uh, some kind of gnome or something during circle time. So he had a job to do that was specific to him, and he focused that. um, He always did very well if he was either sitting next to the teacher or... Um, in older grades, sitting in the back of the room so he could see everybody and what everyone was doing. Mm. Um, and have his, he would have plenty of time to process and think about what was going on in the room. Um, because he was thinking about that all the time. If he was in the front row, he was highly distracted by people behind him, mm. you know, not knowing what he was doing. Um, so he is another, I think, it's true of many highly sensitive children. It's so helpful to keep um, everything on the physiological plane even. So he needs to have his blood sugar in a good place, you know, not too long without food. He needs to have really healthy food. Mm. Um, he doesn't do well on caffeine, and he um, he didn't have any caffeine until he was a teenager, like no chocolate even. Yeah. Um, We learn that the hard way. (laughs) We have to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, enough sleep, enough exercise, enough time outside, all of those things. When when all of those things were um, well managed, he's a delight. Mm. And Mm. um, when something falls through the cracks, he's a challenge because he becomes overstimulated. And you know what, Nikki? I am too. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. It's no big surprise. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I suspect I haven't done any tests, but I suspect I am too. I suspect that
1: might be where it comes from. Um Well, I encourage I encourage you and all your listeners to go to hsperson.com com and take the self test. Great. For they have it's on there for both adults and children. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one of the number one things that we can do to help highly sensitive children and highly sensitive people is to make sure that we understand the trait. Mm. A highly sensitive child needs to be educated about the fact that they are the way they are and that it's a great thing mm. and that they need to set up their life in a different way. As parents, we model that for them and we structure their lives, but yeah. as they become more and more independent, they will need to do so.
0: Yeah. Yep. It explains why
1: I hate shopping. <laughs> I just find oh, yeah. shopping centers
0: way overstimulating.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And for me, I love Ikea, but I can only tolerate about 30 minutes in there and I'm done. Yep.
0: Yep. Absolutely. I, I've been there once and haven't gone back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, we've been talking about high sensitivity as a trait. Could you tell my listeners what that means?
1: Yes, so it, the trait is actually called sensory processing sensitivity. Mm. It is found in fifteen to twenty percent of all over one hundred species. Wow. We think it may be in every species. Mm. It is innate, that means that you're born with it, Mm. like other personality traits. And um, we, every species needs it, needs to have highly sensitive beings in their species in order to survive. There has to be members of the population who do notice the subtle stimuli Mm. and who react to them and think deeply about them. Mm. We are the people who in the times of dwelling in caves, smelt the fire when it was still, you know, hundred miles away, mm-hmm. and um, warned our our clan to um, move to the water. Uh-huh. We were the ones who heard the predator stepping on a twig out in the woods and said, "Quick, move the boulder across the opening to the cave." Mm. So. In later times, um, the highly sensitive people were the healers and the shamans and the spiritual advisors. So um, when we're telling our children about being highly sensitive, we can explain to them that who highly sensitive people are and um, that they are often the artists and the philosophers and the creative writers and the professors and um, they're the members of our society that are thinking more deeply, and society can't live without us.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So it would be the highly sensitive birds that start the distress call. And-
1: exactly. Mm. The highly sensitive horse that notices the predator and runs away while, and all the other horses follow them mm-hmm. as they make their escape. There's actually some research that they did on pumpkin seed sunfish, and they studied the fish in a pond and decided that some, about 15 to 20%, were timid, as they called them. And the way they identified which ones they were for sure was they put a trap in the pond, and 80% of the fish went into the trap, and about 20% held back. And those were the ones that got labeled timid. So they've Done research on all these different species, and you know, obviously, the pumpkin seed sunfish would be extinct if they didn't have fifteen to twenty percent that held back from danger.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um. So you you have horses, and they're highly sensitive horses. So how are they different from other horses?
1: Well, how did you horse- find them? <laughs> they found me. I didn't go looking for any of them. Right. <laughs> People say they come trotting down the road saying, Elaine, Elaine. (laughs) um, All horses are sensitive because they're prey animals. All prey animals are sensitive. So if you've ever tried to pet a deer or any um, of their cousins, you probably noticed that they ran away very quickly. And prey animals need to be sensitive in order to stay alive, the whole species. Yeah. However, even in prey animals, twenty percent, fifteen to twenty percent, are more highly sensitive. They have the trait. Now, I am attracted to those horses because um, they don't fit in well in. The basic expectations of horses. Mm. Um, They're the ones who are more spooky. They're more challenging. They don't like to be touched. Mm. Um, They have stronger reactions when um, they're scared or when they're first being trained. Mm. So uh, they're very challenging. So Um, In my program, we have a very high capacity for these very challenging horses. And we all of our horses have been rescued from situations where um, they were either severely neglected or abused. Mm. And generally, those horses were highly sensitive. So it just sort of happened that we have capacity and willingness and openness for them. And so we end up with them because most people don't want them. Yeah, right.
0: So having the highly sensitive horses and the people together, how does that work given that they are traditionally, I guess, more difficult in terms of riding or that sort of thing?
1: It's a beautiful thing. And in, in equine assisted growth and learning, the work that I do with the horses and people, we don't ride the horses. We do activities with them on the ground. Yeah. But the beauty of P, highly sensitive people working and highly sensitive children working with the horses is that the high sensitivity is all an asset. Mm. There is no negative aspect for a horse to be highly sensitive in their natural environment. Mm. If we try to force them into They're an unnatural environment, like being kept in a stall, for example, and not getting enough exercise and um, not eating all day long like they're supposed to in the wild, then they're going to become very overstimulated and over aroused, kind of like if we force our children or ourselves to be out there in the 80% world all the time. Mm. But for the people get to see that they are masters of self-care, and masters of survival. Mm. And so for us to, to acknowledge and recognize that D O E S in the horses is, uh, is both for their benefit, their survival, and their thriving Mm. helps us see how it is for us also an asset and helps us thrive. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, So it's sort of, helping people to realize that if you're trying to push a round peg into a square hole, you're going to have issues. But, oh, I love that. But if you let that round peg be in a round hole where it's meant to be, then it's going to look very functional.
1: Right. And, um, you know, and that's one of the things we need to teach our children. Yeah. Um, that it's okay to be different and that sometimes the world may not feel like it fits. Yeah. And, I, I was just um, reading a little bit, uh, rereading the Highly Sensitive Child, um, Elaine Aaron's book, which mm. every parent with a highly sensitive child really must read. Mm. It is so helpful. And um, Dr. Aaron always said she never planned to write a self-help book, or, and now she's written several. Right. Um, she has made it her life's mission to make the world better for highly sensitive people. Mm. And the book is just Full of advice and talking points how to talk to the teachers and how to talk to doctors and how to talk to your friends and how to parent and I was um re- rereading some of the parenting advice and one of the things she says is you know you may feel disappointed that your child doesn't want a big birthday party or doesn't like surprises or um moves more slowly into new things, and it might sometimes be a challenge for you. And so we have to spend time without our children, understanding, mastering our own feelings about it, Mm -hmm. and creating a strategy that will work for the whole family. Mm -hmm. And when we do, then we are not putting our own expectations about childhood on our children, um, because they might not be fit. Yeah.
0: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it's it's about um not trying to yeah, not trying to keep the whole square, I guess, just because that's sort of what you expect or what social expectations are.
1: Absolutely. Mm. And you know, I I faced a lot of um maybe criticism or judgment or just frustration in my friends um, when my child was younger, because um, I would not keep him up late. I would say we have to go. Yeah. <laughs> We're going and you won't, and you know, they didn't believe me, but you won't enjoy our family if we stay later. Yeah. <laughs> and, you yep. know, and I would say if, if you really, you know, to my parents, the grandparents, if you want to keep my child up, you will be in charge of him tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> because. He's lovely when I take good care of him, Yeah, <laughs> but yep. if I don't make sure that he keeps his optimal level of arousal or has a chance to recharge when he's become overstimulated, say by travel or socializing, yep. um, then tomorrow's going to be very challenging and I'll have to plan a day off. That was the first part of my interview with
0: Elaine. I'll publish the next half in a week or so. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. Please hang around now as I ask my son a few questions and listen to the next podcast where we get some great tips on helping our children to function socially in a society that values being tough, learn more about equine-assisted learning, and discuss mindfulness and counselling as a highly sensitive person. It turns out that both Xander and I are highly sensitive. You can test yourself and your children at hsperson.com. If you have any friends whose kids seem very sensitive, please forward them a link to this episode. Again, that's at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash HSC for highly sensitive children. Whether your child is highly sensitive or not, this episode is a really good reminder that many traits have positive advantages and challenges. In some cases, challenging traits in children, such as determination, can be wonderful traits as they grow. So acceptance of our child's character, including the challenges, is so important to our relationship with them and their healthy development. Apparently highly sensitive children often also have sleep issues. I guess that's why I've had more success with sleep approaches that attempt to address the cause of the sleep issues rather than just stop the crying. If you need help with your child's sleep, you can check out my sleep services at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleepoptionswizard. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the article I first read about highly sensitive children, a link to Elaine's practice and all the resources we mentioned at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash HSC. Remember to tune into the next half for more great information. Now here's a short interview with my son. So do you want to say hello? Hello. So this is Xander. Yeah. So can I ask you some questions, Xander? Yeah. Can you tell me about... Metal spoons? Why don't you like metal spoons? Because they're too hot when ah. th- when things are too hot, so when they go on them, that makes the metal spoons too hot. Ah, I see. Aha, uh-huh. So that's it. And what about hand dryers? What does it feel like when you hear a hand dryer? I feel I feel nice. Do you? Yeah. You're getting, yeah. you're getting braver now, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. What did it used to feel like?
1: I didn't
0: like it. No, you didn't, did you? Why not? Because they were too noisy. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Yeah. So how old are you now, Xander? Four. Yeah. You're- that. Comes up with that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say bye-bye? Bye-bye. <laughs> and it comes nice. up with that. It does.